0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask You pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, receive from me. Let's try and see. Jesus' meeting with the rich young man. That moment in the Gospels where Jesus is stopped with people on his right and on his left, small gathering around him in a small town. And some people were perhaps asking him questions. Others were asking for a blessing. And In the middle of that crowd, a young man, probably not even 20, makes his way through them and comes out in front of them all and stands there and people gradually fall silent because it's very clear because of his restlessness that he wanted to speak the way he was looking at others to be quiet and looking at Jesus. And Jesus seeing him stops and he, with a gesture, encourages him to speak. So the young man asks him, Master, what must I do to have eternal life. What must I do to have life to the full? The truest sense. And I think we need to try to see that eagerness, yes, but with a restlessness, because I, I don't have this life now, yet. What do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and he begins to go through, as you recall the story, he begins to go through the Ten Commandments. And the reason that he does that is Jesus says, well, look, in order to be united to God, in order to have salvation, you need to not do the sorts of things that separate you from God. You need to lead a life worthy of God. In other words, lead a good life. And the young man hears all of this. He hears Jesus going through each of the commandments. honor your father and mother, shall not kill, not steal, commandments against lust. He's hearing all of this, but, and this is the point I want us to really focus in on and maybe see in a different way. The young man turns to Jesus, he hears the moral, and he says, yeah, but what else? And in that what else, maybe we need to hear this young man kind of expressing a little bit, look, I'm a little bit tired of just being good, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Is this all there is? You know, just doing what is expected of me, and 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 not doing what my some of my other friends are doing, and avoiding the bad things, or and maybe if we'd want to hear it for our contemporary years, you know, would we? Maybe it would be something along the lines of, you know, is it just about going to mass on Sundays and? You know, and maybe him kind of saying, "Look, I'm a lot better than most of my friends. You know, I'm not doing some of the crazy things that they're doing." And you know, and compared to what I see in movies and television, boy, you know, I'm almost a saint. You know, but I'm doing a lot of I'm doing all these good things, and I'm trying to pray. I know I should be doing all this stuff, but what else? In other words, he's expressing a kind of tiredness with trying to live a good life. And I'd like us to consider that and call it to our attention because it brings forward something very, very important that we can't overlook in our desire through prayer to get to know, to fall in love and to allow our lives be transformed by Jesus Christ. And that thing that we can't overlook is we aren't being called by God to do certain things, to execute correct actions. We are being called by God to enjoy His grace, His life, to be with Him in a way that fills us with that eternal life. Not just when we die and go to heaven, but now, in an imperfect way, etc. But, but truly now. And this is because your soul and mine is a hungry thing. It wants truth and beauty and goodness. And it doesn't want just a little bit every now and then. It's insatiable. And it doesn't want to just know that it's doing what it should be doing and that certain people are okay. And I think I'm, you know, even that I'm in a state of grace that I haven't separated myself from God through sin. In a sense, what else is there? Is this life that I'm trying to lead in which I'm trying to pray a little bit more and I'm trying to follow the commandments of God. Is it bringing me joy? Is it one of the reasons that people could see a smile on my face? The way that I handle adversity, the way that I deal with difficulties, the way that I stretch myself to learn and to grow, is that the reason am I doing that to begin with? And is it the reason why? It wasn't for this rich young man. And that's why he was coming to Jesus and saying, what's missing? I think I'm doing all the right things. But I'm looking to my right and to my left, and I'm a little bit... Everyone else seems to be having a great time. Seems like there's a lot of fun out there, a lot of enjoyment, a lot of pleasure. And I think I'm doing what I should be doing. But Lord, what else? This enjoyment that this young man is longing for and this enjoyment that God wants us to have is not the kind of enjoyment that we might associate with entertainment, right? You know, the kind of thing that we would say, did you enjoy the movie? Right? You know, that kind of enjoyment is very passive. It's kind of sitting back, expecting something to happen and say, well, does this, what does this do for me? How does this make me feel, simply? There's, our, our feelings are involved in true enjoyment, but the enjoyment that that we want to be praying about now and we want to try to reach for and strive for is something deeper, something that requires us to embrace wholeheartedly, and that's the difference, wholeheartedly what God is asking of us. In other words, this enjoyment comes from freely uniting myself to something that is worthy of my soul. You see, and that's much more than just doing the right things. Keeping up a certain performance, executing certain actions. And here I'm not saying that we need to do more things, right? We have to increase our to-do list in our Christian life. It's not about what we're doing, it's about how we do it. And Jesus, when he hears this young man say, what else? St. Mark tells us, and we've considered this many times before, St. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, go and sell all that you have and come follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're right, you do need more. And what you need is me." You need a life that is shot through with love for a person. Love that you receive and love that you strive to give back because that's what your soul is hungry for. Your soul isn't longing for a certain kind of behavior. It's longing for the freedom of love. So come, follow me. And we know that the story doesn't have a Hollywood ending young man walks away. Maybe that invitation was too radical. It it made him nervous. He thought it would be easier of just, I just need to do this thing and that thing. He wasn't expecting Jesus to invite him to give his heart, to really try to love in a wholehearted way. That's why he told the young man to sell what he had. In other words, stop having a divided heart. That's why you're not enjoying the life that is indicated in the Ten Commandments. That's why it's not something that's filling you. It's not a source of joy because your heart is divided. It's cracked. And like any container that's cracked, when you pour into it, it just drains out. It can't contain and enjoy the life that is being given to you. Wholehearted. Wholehearted actions generally are actions that we enjoy. I mean, I think that's just even, just at a very human level. Maybe we think about a certain sport that we might enjoy, or music, or maybe we are into film, or outings with friends. You know, will we lose ourselves in something? That's normally a sign that we're enjoying it. But it's when our our love, or just our attention, and they're very much connected, by the way, is fractured, it's divided. You know, when we're with someone, but we're kind of wishing that we were somewhere else, or we're invited to do something else, but we're kind of afraid that we might miss another opportunity, or you know, the whole fear of missing out thing. As long as that's lurking in the background, it's hard, if not impossible, for us to enjoy whatever it is we're doing. And that's true of exercise or an outing or whatever the case may be. And it's even more true of our relationship with God. We won't be able to derive happiness and peace from that Christian life if we don't let go of things that separate us from God. For example, you know, just think about how the desire to be admired and appreciated Classically sometimes it's called vanity, but you know, more on a a day-to-day level, just wanting to be, admired. people, have a good opinion of us, you know, kind of in the the little buzz that we can get from that, the pleasure. Think of how clinging to that desire objectively prevents us from being sincere in our desires to serve and to help others. Because we want to know, well, they appreciated it, what will other people think, is it worth my while? I might occasionally do it. I might occasionally go out of my way to forget myself and to serve others. But if my heart's divided, I won't completely go out of my way or just kind of, and maybe I'll be a little bit relieved when I don't have to. Since my heart is divided, it wants to hold on to things that are incompatible with this other thing that I'm trying to do, and I, and, and I don't wind up enjoying either of the things that being divided. Lord, we ask you now in our prayer, give us the grace of a simple heart, a sincere heart to say, what I want is what I'm going to try to commit myself to doing. And sure, we'll be weak and we'll get distracted and we'll have our falls and our temptations. That's part of it. But that's fully compatible with having a sincere undivided heart. You know, having a whole heart, an undivided heart doesn't mean that we become sinless or immune to temptation. It just means that we're decided. Something else that's very important, I think, for us to take steps forward in learning how to not just perform in a Christian way, but really enjoy and find peace and and satisfaction in the fullest sense of the word in trying to follow Jesus Christ. Something that's very key in doing that is to see my Christian life as meeting a true need of my soul. Just think about that for a moment. That trying to pray the life of the sacraments, trying to grow in the various virtues, to really be concerned about my friends, and my colleagues, and the people around me. I haven't just made a list there of unconnected impositions, but I've made some specific suggestions that correspond in a true way to something I really want. Do I see my effort to pray each day is corresponding to something that my soul needs? Or just something that if I don't do, I feel a little bit guilty or bad? And if the answer, and let's be sincere, is well, I kinda do it because otherwise I feel bad, well, okay, <laughs> it's a starting point. It's a little better to pray than to not pray. But let's, in a, to a certain extent, follow the example of the rich young man. Lord, what else? I don't want to stay there and just kind of doing and acting on the basis of shoulds. I don't want to should over myself all the time about the things in my Christian life. What will bring me closer to you in a wholehearted way? You know, and I, when I say this point about thinking of something that meets the need of our soul, when something does that, when something kind of meets the need of our soul, I think one of the ways that we express this is we say it, something resonates with us. You know, maybe something that you hear, something that you read. You know, think of a friend who gives you just the bit of advice that you needed in that moment. You know, it just kind of clicks, just what you needed. Or maybe, maybe that friend didn't say anything, was just silent, and maybe that's even what you needed more, just that listening ear, that, that, that you could feel yourself being felt, and that resonated with you because it met a need of your soul. Or the thing that you read, that an insight in a book or some, a story that just brings so many ideas together, and, and you just grasp and you have an insight, that meets a, meets a need of your soul for truth, for understanding, and it resonates with you. Or being still before the beauty of the sea, or a sunset. You know, we just let that beauty and that grandeur resonate with us and it resonates with us and it reaches us. If we're able to do that and, you know, keep our phone in our pocket and not pull it out and just take it in, it will resonate with us because it meets a need of our soul. And that's why those moments that I just described, and maybe you can make your own list, are generally moments of satisfaction. They're moments of peace. Do I see my efforts to grow in a life of prayer, to be consistent in a life of the sacraments, do I see it in the same way? Corresponding to deep longings of my soul. Lord, help me to see it that way. Because if I don't, I might be a little bit like a child who's forced to take piano lessons. I don't know, maybe you were that child once and some people maybe have very good memories, some people have less good memories, but it kind of all depends because a child who is forced to take piano lessons has to go through the tedium of repetition, sacrificing other activities, missing out sometimes on what the other kids were doing, you know, maybe not being able to play the sport that everyone else was talking about with enthusiasm because I don't probably, at least when I was growing up, I never remember kids talking with enthusiasm about piano lessons, you know, kind of, getting together in this group at school and like, hey, you know what happened in piano lesson today? We did, you know, we were really, I jammed out on D major and it was really great. And, no, and normally it's a very solitary affair, you know? So I think, you know, kind of looking over it. And so all of that training and those lessons, there comes a moment where this child either discovers and embraces the beauty of music, the joy of creativity and expression or the passion of performing for other people's people, either either she discovers that or she will end up resenting all of this training. It'll just be this training that doesn't bring the heart with it. There's another moment in the New Testament and I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time with our prayer on it, that very dramatically represents Someone who wasn't able to enjoy what God was asking of him. And that's the story most popularly known as the story of the prodigal son. And we know very well what happens exactly with the prodigal son. He was the son of a very, very wealthy father who had an abundance, all that he needed. And so this one younger son asked for his inheritance, took a huge amount of wealth. He went and he just let rip. If he had a desire, he fulfilled it. Anything he wanted to do, the wildest parties, the most extreme pleasures, everything. And he did it and he threw himself into it wholeheartedly. And he destroyed himself in the process. And it came to a moment where he realized when there was famine, when he ran out of money, and as a result his friends disappeared and the pleasures were no longer possible and he was living among pigs. He came back to himself and he wanted to go back. But the person I want us to focus our attention on, especially since we don't have much more time, is his older brother. All the while that he was out there with the rip-roaring parties and the bling and the pleasure and the festival, his brother was home on the farm with the workers just literally plowing away, doing what he thought his father expected of him. He was the good son and he was fulfilling and he was doing the things that everyone else in the town and the other family members would have looked at him and would have said, well, that, yeah, there he is, you know, look at him, you know? The other son they wouldn't have talked about in public, they just would have whispered about, you know, the, the wild stories that they heard. There was not Instagram at the time so they wouldn't have been following his life uh, from far away but, they, you know, the stories would have circulated. But the other son, the older son, they would have looked at him and said, what a good guy, what a loyal son, and there he was. Until the day his younger brother came back. His younger brother came back, and you remember how the story goes. His father was waiting for him. Every day he'd wait for him. He was too old to go out and search him out, but he was waiting for him. And when he finally appeared on the horizon, he made his way out to him. He, he rushed towards him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he covered him with kisses, and he welcomed him back, and he ordered a massive celebration to be thrown. Party. He didn't give him a dressing down. He didn't yell at him. He didn't punish him or humiliate him in front of all of the servants and everyone else to let him know how disappointed he was in the obvious stupidity and sinfulness of his son. No, he's happy to have him back. So he has a celebration. And you remember the older brother's out doing what he should be doing, he's doing the good things. And he comes back and he hears that his brother's returned and he hears that there's a celebration. And he hears the joy and he hears them say how happy his father is. And he gets really angry. He gets really envious. And he won't go in. Notice how powerful this is of an image of refusing to enjoy what his father enjoys. He stays outside in the dark in the cold. The music, the celebration, the wine, the food, the dancing, it's all inside. He's outside. Because he's been externally, not in a wholehearted way, doing the right things. And we know it wasn't wholehearted because when the father comes out and he approaches him, he says, why will you not come in? Why will you not enjoy being a part of this family? Why won't you celebrate it? And he says, because I've been working away day in and day out in this son of yours and who's been out and he's been doing all sorts of horrible things and he's been very lustful, by the way. It's interesting how the older brother focuses in on that sin of all the sins. He's been away and now he comes back and it's as if nothing happened and he's just resentful and he refuses to go in. In that reaction, in that envy, we see we get a glimpse, it kind of comes to the surface, of how all the while that older son was actually very far away from his father too. That This actually was a father who had two prodigal sons, one out in the Amsterdam of the Middle East, the other at home working away, but both of them were very far away. And one of the ways in which this older brother was far away is that he refused to enjoy what his father enjoyed. and was very striking, and it gets very specific, and this is something for us to think about. He wasn't willing to enjoy his father's mercy. He got kind of annoyed by it. One of the most important ways that you and I can and should enjoy God's grace is to enjoy being forgiven. just think about that for a moment. Isn't it the case that we're sometimes kind of annoyed that we have to be forgiven? Frustrated with ourselves that I need to go to confession? That I need to spell out the things that I want God to forgive me for because it makes me look bad, it makes me feel bad, I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. I don't like to to look that way, to feel that way. I'd rather just brush it on the carpet. I'd rather not think about it. I'd rather just keep going. And what am I supposed to do? And we just look the other way. But what we see in this story that Jesus tells about this merciful father and his two prodigal sons is that to come back to the father, one of the things that that involves is enjoying being forgiven, accepting it with a whole heart. Allowing ourselves to be forgiven and forgiving ourselves in the process, not because we've deserved it or we earned it, not at all, but because we're willing to put our pride and our self-love aside and accept what God gives us. That's how we get into the joy and the celebration of the Father's house, accepting that mercy and that forgiveness. It's a great grace. It's, It's not something we can just do because we heard it or think about it, it's something we need to pray for. And I encourage you to do that right now in this meditation. Lord, help me have a a little bit more desire to want to come before you transparently, without pretending, and be forgiven to confess my sins to you so that I can enjoy what you want to give me Now, going forward in our Christian life and enjoying God's grace in this way doesn't mean that we're going to have a life that's just all happy-clappy and everything goes well and we're laughing all the time. We're just always happy. Because Jesus himself said that, that our life will be like his, that we will experience the cross, that we will have persecution. But that since we know that God is our Father and that Christ has overcome the world, even in those moments of adversity and difficulty, we should be at peace. As Jesus says in the Last Supper, do not let your souls be troubled, for I have overcome the world. But for us to grow in that, you know, how can we get better at enjoying being with God? Instead of being like the older brother, doing what we should be doing, while on the inside we're still asking, you know, why do I have to be doing this? Why are these other people out doing this? With that little bit of, "Mm, what else is there? How can we grow in that ability to enjoy Well, I have to say, I, I don't think there's a simple recipe here. And, and I'm not saying that just because I'm, I'm ignorant of it, I just honestly don't think there is a simple recipe of do these three things, and this thing that we've been praying about for you will be sorted. Because what, it's a question of exercising each one of us, our freedom. And to not be afraid to go after the good that God is putting in front of us. And I'd like to try to give a very specific example, and I'd like to take it from the writings of St. Jose Maria. In a homily, he speaks about how we should grow in love of Mary, really experience her as mother, to fall in love with her, to enjoy having Mary as my mom. Her protection, the confidence I should bring with us. And the advice that he gives, I think, is is very, very uh, insightful, not only for how we can love Mary, but for everything else. And this is what he says. Finally, I would recommend that, if you haven't already done so, you find out for yourself, by personal experience, the meaning of Mary's maternal love. So you notice how he's saying, look, it's good to pray the rosary. It's good to say Hail Mary, but you can't stay there. Find out for yourself. I encourage you to try. Have your own personal experience of the meaning of Mary's maternal love. It is not enough just to know she is our mother and to think and to talk about her in such a way. She is your mother and you are her child. She loves you as if you were her only child in this world. Treat her accordingly. Tell her about everything that happens to you. Honor her and love her. No one will do it for you or as well as you if you do not do it yourself. That's the invitation. That's the horizon that God wants to open up to us in our prayer. Not only in how we relate to Mary, but how we relate to Jesus, how we relate to our work, how we relate to our friends. No one will do it for you or as well as you if you don't do it yourself. That is an invitation to find out for ourselves how we exercise our freedom, our capacity to love, to give ourselves wholeheartedly, to identify ourselves with the good that God is asking us to live in the particular circumstances of our day to day. Mary is our mother and she at the moment, Angel Gabriel appeared to her and for the rest of her life said, Let it be done unto me according to my will, your will. And as a result of that, let it be, that wasn't a passive, just I'll see what happens. It was an active embracing, active wanting. And with our own limitations and our weaknesses, but with confidence in God's presence and his power, let's try to do the same and not go through the motions of a Christian life. But enjoy it. Experience how it resonates with our souls as it gives us a peace that this world cannot give. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, a seat for me.